Almost every fruit is filled with one of three vitamins, either vitamin C, vitamin A, or vitamin E. And those are all very, very important antioxidants. There are also some, uh, some anti-aging benefits. Now, I'm, I'm interested in this aspect of it, okay? Scientists, this is interesting. I didn't know this. Scientists have now discovered that, that the bright colors of many fruits are actually another source of benefit. Here's what they discovered. There, there's a pigment in a blueberry that makes it blue. And there's a pigment in, in a cranberry or strawberry that makes them red. And these pigments are known as phytonutrients. Now, I'm not a scientist. I'm just telling you what I've learned. They are, these are phytonutrients. Let me, a phytonutrient is, is a powerful antioxidant that helps protect the body against cancer-causing free radicals and has now been proven it can actually slow down the process of aging. Well, another benefit that I discovered... Their intellectual benefits. This will interest you as well. Studies are now showing that a diet that is very high in fruit can help uh, prevent many of the symptoms of diseases like Alzheimer's or dementia or, or things like that. Maybe that's why the USDA is now recommending we ought to eat at least five servings of fruit every day. Now, I, I try to eat an apple every day, sometimes two. I don't eat nearly as, fruit, as, as much fruit as I should, but I'm absolutely convinced that fruit does have tremendous benefits. Now, that may be why God is so interested in fruit. And you may be asking, what do you mean God is so interested in fruit? Well, I went back to my Bible and I got out a little concordance and I began to read about what the Bible has to say about fruit. And yet you'll find some very interesting things. For example, when God created the first man and the first woman, he put them on a fruit diet. The, the very first diet of the very first human beings was made up entirely of fruit. God said to Adam and Eve in Genesis 2.16, you are free to eat fruit from any tree in the garden. The psalmist said in Psalm 1-3, a righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. If you're a righteous person, if you're a godly person, if you're living life the way life ought to be lived, the Bible says you will be a fruitful person. The wisest man who ever lived said the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Jesus even said the way you can tell the difference between a real believer and a false believer is by their what? Somebody tell me. By their fruit. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 20, by their fruit, you will recognize them. He went on to say, if you are truly connected to him as a branch is to a vine, you will bear fruit. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. If you want to know how close you really are to Jesus Christ right now, let me ask you a question. How fruitful are you? I don't hear, I don't, I don't, don't come tell me how close you are. Don't come tell me how close you think you are to Jesus Christ. He said, here's the acid test. The more you're connected to me, the more you're in line with me, the more you're in tune with me, the closer you're walking with me, the more you will bear fruit. Now, here's the question. Why is God so interested in fruit? Why does God want me and you to be just like fruit? And why does God have this strong desire that you and I bear fruit? Let me tell you why I believe this is true. God put us on this earth to live lives in such a way that we would be good to others 
but we would also be good for others. He wants our lives to be tasty. We're going to start a series, nine-week series today I'm so excited about, about how to live a life that's tasty. Nobody likes to eat fruit or eat food that's bitter. Nobody likes to eat food that's ruined. Nobody likes to eat food that's rotted. Nobody likes to eat food that's sour. We like to eat food, and if possible, we like to combine two qualities in our food. We want it to be good to us. We want it to be good for us. What God says is, I want your life to be just like that. I want you to live your life in such a way. I want you to live your life in such a tasty fashion. You'll be as attractive to people that, as, as a hungry man is attracted to a plate of good food. And when he finds that good food, he eats it and finds out it's not only good to him, it is good for him. But that raises a big question. How can I do that? How, how can I? You, you know, you may be sitting here today and you may be saying, I'm so shy. I'm so timid. Or you may be sitting here and you may be saying, you know, there's so many qualities about me that I could see that people would not like. You may say, I've gotten myself in so many bad habits and, 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 and I, I, I know, you know, I don't even like to live with me and I got to live with me all the time. How, how in the world am I ever going to have the kind of life that, you, that you're talking about that is tasty, the kind of life that is good to others and the kind of life that is good for others? What kind of fruit could I possibly bear in my life that would make me so tasty and how can I become that kind of a fruitful person? Well, I want to show you the answer. If you brought a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn in the New Testament. There's a book called Galatians, G-E-P-C. What does that stand for? General Electric Power Company. Remember? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I want you to turn to the book of Galatians, and I want you to look in the fifth chapter, Galatians chapter 5, because the answer to those questions... How can I be that kind of a fruitful person? How can I live a tasty life? How can I be the kind of person that people are drawn to like a hungry man is drawn to a plate of good food? The answer to both of those questions is found in two tremendous verses of Scripture that is going to be the basis of our study for the next nine weeks. It's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Here's what we read. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'm going to say those again. Just, 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 just kind of let those just kind of float your mind a minute. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, if you don't think those qualities are super important, I, I want to ask all of you a question this morning. How many of you are married? Just raise your hand if you're married. All right? How many of you think that your marriage would be happier than it is today if your spouse was a person of love, joy, peace, patience? Quit looking at each other. Just look right up here. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness and self-control is what keeps you from doing this while I'm talking through that list, all right? Self-control. Let me ask you this question. Do you think that uh, where you work, do you think your business would be better? Do you think the morale of your employees might be a little better? If your boss and your supervisors were people of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, do you think 
um, that the friendships and the relationships that you're in on a daily basis, do, do you think they would be stronger if both of you portrayed that kind of fruit in your life? Hey, let me ask you this question. Do you think churches would be a lot more attractive to outsiders if every time they walked into any church they found people full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Now, before you sit there and you say, man, you're talking about utopia. I mean, of course, I mean, that would be the idealistic picture in, in any marriage or in any business or in any relationship or, or, or in any church. And, and you may say, but that's pie-in-the-sky thinking. That's impossible. Well, before you say that, let me give you the bad news and let me give you the good news. Now, the bad news is it is impossible for any person to manufacture these qualities on their own. I, let me just tell you, help you out on something. As you, as you went through that, through that list, you probably thought to yourself without anybody telling you, boy, I'm weak on that one. That's not my strong point. Yeah, I need more of that. And, and if you think that what I'm going to try to do is kind of crack a whip over your head for the next nine weeks and say, okay, now you need to do better. You, you, need, to be, you need to be, not a, it's not a good word, but you need to be gooder. You, you need to be kinder. You need to be more patient. You need to be joyful. You, you know, I'm not going to do that because I already know something. You can't manufacture it, I can't manufacture it. You can't work it up, I can't work it up. You can't force it, and I cannot force it. That is the bad news. Here's the good news. Once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit can bear all of this fruit through you. Now, I want you to write this down. This wants you to take out the door. The qualities of a tasty life cannot be self-manufactured. They must be spiritually produced. The qualities of a tasty life cannot be self-manufactured. They must be spiritually produced. Have you ever seen a cocktail tree? How many of you even, how many of you even know what a cocktail tree is? I bet most of you don't know. All right, a few of you. I had never heard of a cocktail tree in my life, never. And I was studying for this message, and I came across the, a, a, a cocktail tree. Now, let me tell you what a cocktail, cocktail tree is. The, this is a picture of a cocktail tree. Now, you can't really tell too much from that picture, but there's actually about four different kinds of fruit growing on that one tree. It's called a cocktail tree. And, and, and what that tree is, that tree is a combination of numerous citrus trees that have been grafted together in one tree. And on one tree, listen to this, on one cocktail tree, you can grow lemons, limes, oranges, and grapefruits all out of the same tree. It's amazing. Each fruit retains all of its unique characteristics, but it shares the same trunk and it shares the same root system. I'd never heard of one before. And when I, when I, when I studied that, I thought to myself, now that's what God wants me to be. God wants me to be a cocktail tree. And out of every branch of my tree, God wants the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control coming out of all of those branches. He wants us to bear on the various branches of our lives these nine precious fruit. Now, one thing I want you to keep in mind. In, in the Greek language, the word fruit there is singular. I've heard people talk about the fruits of the Spirit. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And here's what I want you to understand. 
When you are dominated by the Spirit of God, when you are controlled by the Spirit of God, and for those of you who are not believers, the Bible says that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit comes and He takes up residence in your life and in your heart. He actually lives in you. And, 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 and part of our role as a believer every day is simply to surrender to the control of the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying is in this passage in Galatians, Every day if I get up and I'm truly surrendered and I'm truly absolutely controlled and dominated by the Holy Spirit, then in my life people will see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You will bear all nine qualities in your life. So now what we're going to do today is we're going to begin with the first quality, which is love. And and I believe there's a reason why love is first, because without love, you won't bear any of the other eight qualities on a consistent basis. If you're not a loving person, there won't be a lot of joy in your life. If you're not a loving person, you won't have a lot of peace in your life. If you're not a loving person, you won't be very patient. If you're not a loving person, you won't have a desire to be kind. If you're not a loving person, you won't be motivated to be good. And there's a reason why Paul put love first, because I believe all the other eight flow out of love. As a matter of fact, if you don't think love is that important, let me tell you how important love is. Love is so important that when a lawyer came to Jesus on one occasion and basically asked him, can you kind of tell me what the Old Testament is all about? Jesus said, oh, yes, it's easy. He said, I can summarize the entire Old Testament. I can summarize 39 books in one word. What was that word? Somebody tell me. Love. He said, I can summarize the law in two verses. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you can take the first 39 books of the Bible and summarize them all in one word. Love. I mean, if if you really want to boil down in its essence what God wants out of you as long as you're on this earth, I'll tell you what he wants out of you. He wants you to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he wants you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what it's all about. Now, that raises, though, another question. What does that kind of love look like? How does the fruit of love taste? How can a person show their love to others? And even more importantly, how can you make sure people really know? Now, this is big. How can you really make sure that people know that you love them without ever even having to tell them? Because, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to love, talk's cheap. It's one thing to say, I love you. It's another thing to show that I love you. And the question is, how can I really live the kind of life where people would look at me and say, I'll tell you one thing about that guy. He's full of love. I'll tell you one thing about that guy. He loves God and he loves me. Well, the answer to that is found now in another passage of Scripture I want you to turn to. If you brought your Bibles, I want you to turn back about a couple of books to 1 Corinthians. As a matter of fact, if you turn left, you'll hit 2 Corinthians. Just turn one more book. And I want you to turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because this is, without question, the greatest description of love that is found in the entire Bible. As a matter of fact, One of my favorite authors, Max Lucado, said that this chapter is the Mount Everest of all the writings on love. Now, I I, want to kind of prepare you for something. We're we're about to hit some some real shockwaves in this message because let me tell you what I know some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking right now, now this is going to be one of those kind of easy listening sermons because, man, we're going to be talking about being lovey-dovey. 
And so this, this is not, you know, boy, thank God. It's not a message on tithing. It's not a message on witnessing. It's not a message on giving money. It's not a message on all those tough things I don't like to hear. Man, we're just going to talk about love. Well, let me get you ready for something. If I were to ask you the question, would you say you are basically a loving person? Quite frankly, most of us, to be frank and honest, would probably answer that question, yes. And so if you're here this morning and you really think you are a loving husband and a loving wife, a loving mother, father, son, daughter, brother, sister, or friend, I want you to get ready for a love checkup. I want you to see how your love measures up to what the Bible says real love looks like. Because if you're really bearing the fruit of love in your life, if you're really the kind of loving person God wants you to be, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 3, 1 Corinthians 13, he says three things will be true about you. And I want you to write these down. Just turn over the back of your order of worship and you write these down. Number one, Paul says you'll be motivated by love. If you're really a loving person, everything you do will be motivated by love. Now listen to what Paul says in verse one, 1 Corinthians 13. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, do you think Paul is trying to make a point about love? I mean, I love that first part. He says, if I speak in the tongues of angels, uh, of men and of angels, but have not love. I love this. This is kind of being funny. He says, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You ever been to a cymbal solo? You won't stay very long. Paul says, that's about what you're like if you don't have love. You're just a cymbal solo. You are nothing and you have nothing if you are not full of love. Now, the word that Paul uses nine times in this chapter is a word that's rarely found outside of the Bible. As a matter of fact, um, it, it's a word that, uh, that, that really most people really didn't know very much about. Because normally there were two words that were used for love in, in the ordinary vernacular of the day. One was the word eros. You can kind of figure out what that word means. We get the word erotic from that. And that, the word eros referred to the sexual love between a man and a woman. The other word was the word phylos. And, and, and it, 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 it was used to describe the, 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 the affection between two friends, two, two very close people. Now, here, here's what those loves had in common. Both of those loves are somewhat dependent upon the person that's being loved. So, for example... We tend to give sexual love to the person that we are physically attracted to, you know, in, in the context of marriage. You marry someone that you're physically attracted to. We tend to give friendly love, phylos love. We tend to give friendly love to people that we like. I mean, you know, that, you know we're not, by the way, we're not called to like everybody. We're called to love everybody, not called to like everybody. Well, agape love, completely different. This describes a love that is based on the deliberate choice of someone who says, I'm not going to base my love on how worthy I think you are. I'm not going to base my love on how attractive I think you are. I'm not even going to base my love on what I think I can get out of this relationship. It has nothing to do with you. 
It is the kind of love that goes against the flesh. It's the kind of love that you give to someone where you say, I'm going to love you even if you don't love me back. This is the kind of love that doesn't expect anything in return. And what Paul is saying here when he says, look, I don't care what you do and I don't care how well you do it. If you don't have love, you don't have anything. What Paul was saying was, you need to understand something. God is not concerned nearly as much with what you do nor how well you do it as God is concerned with why do you do it. See, you you probably didn't notice it, but if you go back and read this list, Paul was really talking, really basically listing spiritual gifts here. Because you go back and read 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, you'll find here he's dealing primarily with spiritual gifts. For example, you go look at these three verses. He's talking about people who have the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, the gift of knowledge, the gift of faith, the gift of giving, even those who have the gift, who give the gift of their own life. And here's what Paul says. He says the only thing that makes you anything is love. The only thing that makes you anything is love. I'll give you an example. Do I get in my study and do I prepare and do I bust it? And hopefully you'll see and hopefully week in and week out, the one thing you will say is, man, the pastor prepares, he works, he studies, he prays, he plans, he doesn't get up there and wing it. He's really done his homework. But why do I do that? Why do I get up here and try to be the best preacher I can? And why do I get up here and try to preach the best message I know how? Is it because you pay me to do it? Is that my motivation? Is it so you'll come up to me when the service is over and tell me what a great sermon it was? Is it because I know that I'm being watched by half a million people every week and I want to make sure that I impress them? God says, James, if that's why you do it, you know what, I, you know what I'm writing down besides your message today? Zero. Or am I preaching because I love Jesus? And do I give my best because I love him? And do I give my best because I love you and I think you deserve to be fed from the word of God what truth really is? That's what impresses God. See, you come in here and you're looking at what I do. You're looking at how I do it. God says, I'm not looking at what you do or how you do it. I'm looking at why you do it. Are you being motivated out of love, love for me and love for others? That's, see, there is no substitute for loving God and loving others. As a matter of fact, let me tell you something. If you go back and study verses 1 through 3, you'll find something very interesting. Every other religion in the world practices these same gifts. Pagan religions practice speaking in tongues. Other religions claim to prophesy. Other religions have faith. Other religions practice giving to the poor. And we've certainly seen in these terrorist attacks how other religions are willing to give their lives even for something that's not even true. Other religions do all that stuff. Paul says what separates Christianity from every other religion is love. Love for God. And love for others. And the point is, where we get so impressed, here's what I want you to hear. We get so impressed with spiritual gifts. Oh, what is your gift? Well, I got the gift of prophecy. I've got the gift of, of mercy. I've got the gift of giving. I've got the gift of tongues. I've got the gift of healing. I've got the gift of knowledge. I've got the, and we get so impressed. You know what God says? God says, I'm not nearly as impressed with spiritual gifts as I am with spiritual fruit. I tell you what impresses me. It's not how high you jump, but how straight you walk when you hit the ground. That's what motivates me. I don't want to know what you do or how you do it. I want to know why you do it. And the real mark of a follower of Jesus Christ is not activity. It is affection. 
And everything you do for the church, everything you do for your family, everything you do for friends, everything you even do at work for your boss should not be motivated by a paycheck. It ought to be motivated out of a love for God and a love for your company. Why should you give an honest day's work for an honest day's wage? Because you love God and he deserves your best. Because you love your boss and he, lo- he, he deserves your best. You love the fact that you have a job and your job deserves your best. Love for God so that you want to do your best and be your best and love for others so they can see you at your best. And what Paul said was, if you want to be tasty, if you really want to be tasty to other people, make sure everything you do is motivated by love. Now, here's the second thing Paul says. He says, if you're really a first person full of love, you won't just be motivated by love. You'll be marked by love. Now, I want you to watch what Paul does. Paul gets down to the nitty-gritty of what real love looks like. Let me tell you what he does. He gives us about 14 characteristics of love. Now, some of these are positive. Some of these are negative. Now, before I get into this list, we're going to kind of blow through these pretty quickly. I want you to ask two questions. This is where this message is going to get real hard, and this is where this message is going to get very, very personal. Here's the two questions I want you to ask yourself as we go through this list. Here's the first one. How does my love measure up with this quality? Now, you say you're really a loving person. All right, let's just really, really get down to the nitty-gritty. How does your love measure up with this quality? And here's the second thing. How would the behavior of others around me change if my love included this? Now, You're going to see there are some things that Paul says that love practices, and there are some things that love prohibits. Let's get started. Look what he says now, uh, beginning in verse 4. Love is patient. Now, if you can imagine love as being a fleet of ships, Paul says the flagship of love is patience. Now, that word is very interesting. It is composed of two words. The first word is themia, which gives us the word thermometer. It refers to heat or passion. And the second word is macro, which is the opposite of micro. It means long. So you put those words together, and what Paul says is love is long-tempered. It has a long fuse. It takes a long time to boil. It takes love a long time to get angry. It has a long fuse. But love only takes a short time to get over it. So if somebody upsets you that you love, first of all, they got to do a whole lot to get you upset, long fuse. But even when they do, it takes you a short time to get over it. In other words, love has a very short memory. Question, how loving are you? Look at the second characteristic. Love is kind. Now, Kindness is when you do something good for someone just out of the kindness of your heart. As a matter of fact, that word was even used to describe food that was tasty as well as healthy. Mark Twain once said, kindness is a language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Let me ask you a question. What is your kindness quotient? So, well, how do you measure that? All right, here's a question. When was the last time you did something kind for somebody in your family or somebody at work or somebody in your neighborhood without anybody asking you to do it. Now, how's your love measuring up? Look at the third characteristic. Love does not envy. In other words, love isn't jealous. Teresa and I 
took, uh, in a couple of months, Teresa and I are going to celebrate our 35th wedding anniversary. Now, we got married when we were six. But uh, we, we, we're going to celebrate our 35th wedding anniversary. And, and I made a very strange promise to Teresa. She didn't understand it at the time, but I made a very strange promise to Teresa before we got married. I said, I want you to know the moment we say I do and the moment we're married, I want to make a promise to you. I said, I will never be jealous of you. you you'll never have to worry about me, you know, looking at you, looking at you and thinking you're, you're looking at another man. Or you'll never have to worry if some other man puts his arm around you or kisses you on the cheek or whatever, the, you know, the occasion may be. I want you to understand, I will never be jealous of you. And I'll tell you why. Because I know marriages that are poisoned because one spouse is so jealous of another. Dr. James Dobson said, I want you to listen to this. If you love something, set it free. If it comes back to you, it's yours. If it doesn't, it never was. There's another version of that I read that goes like this. If you love something, set it free. If it doesn't come back to you, track it down and beat it to death. Now, that's not love. All right, that's not love, okay? Envy and jealousy. Listen, envy possesses. Jealousy possesses. Love releases. Real love, listen. Real love is glad for the good that's in another person, and real love is glad for the good that comes to another person. Someone has wisely said, every time you turn green with envy, you're ripe for trouble. Question, how's your love holding up? Next characteristic, love is not proud. Now, why does Paul add that? Well, I'll tell you why. Sometimes it's even harder to love when you're the successful person. Sometimes it's even harder to love when the good things happen to you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever known anybody that completely changed once they came into a lot of money? You ever known anybody that used to be one way when, when you went to high school with them and they were just kind of an ordinary Joe, but they hit the big, they hit the big time, they hit the, back, they hit the jackpot, they won the lottery, they bought the company, they're, they're now the CEO, and, 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 and now they don't have time for you anymore. They, 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 don't, they, don't, uh, they used to take your calls, but now they can't seem to answer the phone. Paul says, real love not only accepts people when they're more successful, Real love also accepts other people when they're less successful. Real love's not proud. How's your love doing? Look at the next one. Love is not rude. Now, the word rude literally means shameful or disgraceful behavior. No need to elaborate here. Let me just, say, let me just kind of put this real simple. There, there's a love quality that's really missing more and more. It, it's, missing in our, it, it's missing with our young people. It's missing with our kids. It's missing with our teenagers. It's missing out on the street. You know what's missing? Old-fashioned courtesy. Courtesy. Man, don't, don't cut people off in traffic anymore. And if you do, boy, you wave and smile and you beg for forgiveness. And, and, and I know that, you know, I'm not, I know this is not a biblical thing. It's just kind of a, a, a thing with me. But whatever happened to yes, sir, and no, sir? Well, whatever happened to yes, ma'am, and no? I mean, I know that may be a southern thing, but there's a courtesy aspect to it. Well, whatever happened to, to the guy opening the, the, you know, the door for, for the woman? Somebody said, if a man opens a car door for a woman, one of two things is new, the car or the woman. Um, whatever, whatever happened to that? Love doesn't cut in line. 
It doesn't cut people short, and it doesn't cut people down. Let me ask you something. How's your love working out for you? Look at the next one. Love is not self-seeking. If anything defines true love is this, love is a selfish love. Love says, I'm going to love you before I love me. And I'm going to love you whether you love me back or not. You know, ever so often when we say I love you, here's what, here's, we, we don't really mean I made a commitment to place your needs above my needs. What we really mean is I love you because of what you do for me. I love you because you make me feel good. What you're doing right now is working for me because the person that I really love the most is me. So the more you love me, the more I love you. Well, real love loves others for what we can give to them, not for what we can get from them. How's your love making it? Look at the next one. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Simply put, real love says, I'm going to give grace in every relationship. I'm going to leave room for you to make mistakes. I'm going to leave room for you not to be perfect. By the way, the word here is an accounting term. It's a bookkeeping term. It literally says, love does not keep a ledger on evil. Love doesn't hold a grudge. As I said before, love not only has a long fuse, it has a very short memory. Love is quick to forgive and love is quick to forget. And that's not always easy. You know what C.S. Lewis once said? I love this. C.S. Lewis once said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Listen, do you, you know why we keep records? We do. You know why we keep mental records when other people do us wrong? We only keep records for one reason. So we can bring it up later. You know, so, so, so we can bring them up at the appropriate time. You know, have you, do you, does your problem, you ever get angry with your spouse or have your spouse get angry with you? And how many of us have ever drug up something that happened 15 years ago? You know, we don't get hysterical, we get historical. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this, I know I did this, but I want to tell you something you did back, back when Reagan was president. I mean, you had not forgotten that yet? Paul says, look. Real love does not keep a record of the wrongs that are done to you. But let me tell you something else. It is also a refusal to keep a record of the things you've done right. There's a friend of mine. She's in our church. She recently got one of the most arrogant emails I've ever seen from a woman who claimed to be her friend. You know what this person did? All she did was brag about all the good things she had ever done for this woman. Listen, Real love does not keep a record of your wrongs, and real love doesn't keep a record of my rights. So I got a question for you. Is your love making the grade? Look at the next characteristic. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Now, that's the tough part of love, because when you really love someone, you're willing to, willing to tell, both tell them the truth when they need to hear it, and you're willing to receive the truth from them when you need to hear it, even though it's painful and it's not pleasant. Let me tell you something. If you've got a friend who needs to hear truth, but they're not willing to hear the truth and they're not willing to receive the truth, they're really not your friend. If you've got someone who says, I'll be a friend to you, but don't ever, ever tell me when I've got a fault. Don't ever tell me when I've got something in my life that, that where I'm short. I don't want to hear it. I want to tell you, that person is not a friend. When you have a friend who's not willing to tell you the truth when you need to hear the truth, they're not your friend. So here's my question as we kind of wrap all these characteristics up. Let's say now I were to ask you to give your love a grade. What grade would you give it? I bet you, it was for me, I bet it was a notch or two lower than what you thought it might be. 
So would you say that you're a person marked by love? And if so, what does your love look like? Here's the last thing Paul says. If you're motivated by love and marked by love, he says you'll be mastered by love. I mean, love will dominate you. Now, what Paul was doing, Paul was looking for a ribbon to wrap around one of the sweetest paragraphs in the Bible. So he closes with this. Look in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, you notice there's a word that's repeated in that verse. And it's the word all. It's the Greek word panta. And you see that word all the time in your dictionary. Pantheism is the belief that God is in all things. A pantry is a cupboard where you store all things. A panacea is a cure for all things. A panoply is an array of all things. Panta means all things. And what Paul is saying is love always looks for the good in the other person. Love is not negative, it is positive. Listen, love, this is so important, hear this. Love does not look over people's faults, but it overlooks people's faults. That doesn't mean love is blind. Someone has well said, love is not blind, it sees more, not less, but because it sees more, it is willing to see less. Let me tell you something. And and, and I know you know this, but it bears just repeating. I don't care if it's Billy Graham. You can find something negative in anybody if you want to look hard enough. I don't care how sweet they are, how nice they are, how kind they are, how good they are. You can find something negative to look at somebody. And I just want to warn you of something. Nothing is great is a greater love killer. Nothing will kill love more than being negative and being cynical and being fault-finding. That's why the one type of person I cannot stand to be around is the person that's always cutting somebody else down. Because I got news for you, little news flash. If they're cutting them down to you, they'll be cutting you down to them. And it's so easy to do that, and it is a love killer. I heard about a fifth grader who wrote this poem on a sheet of paper. Paul's girl is rich and haughty. My girl is as poor as clay. Paul's girl is young and pretty. My girl is like a bale of hay. Paul's girl is smart and clever. My girl is dumb but good. Would I trade my girl for Paul's? You bet your life I would. Now, why does Paul... Why does Paul put love at the beginning of this list of all the qualities that make us tasty? Because here's the bottom line. Look in verse 8. Love never fails. Now listen to what Paul says. This is great. Paul says, if you'll love with the kind of love I'm talking about, the love that is kind, the love that's not rude, the love that's not envy, the love that's not proud, the love that's not boast, the love that's not arrogant, the love that does not keep rights or keep, keeps wrongs, the, the love that does the right things and doesn't do the wrong things. He says, if, if your love practices what it ought to practice and it prohibits what it ought to prohibit, it will never fail. It won't fail in your marriage. It won't fail in your home. It won't fail in your work. It won't fail in the church. No wonder Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. See, love is like glue. It has the potential to create a bond, but only when it's released from the container. You know, glue is no good if you never get it out of the container. 
It can't, put, it can't hold anything together. So I know something. If you want something to stick, you've got to apply it. So I'm going to ask you to do something. In your order of service, I'm going to ask you to do two things. I want you to pull out this little card. See this little card here? It says, My Covenant. This is not original with me. It comes from a church out in Washington State that in 14 years has grown to more than 4,000 people. It is a commitment that this church made to each other. And I want you to listen. I'm going to read this uh, out loud. And I want you to listen to it. You will never knowingly suffer at my hands. I will never say anything or do anything knowingly to hurt you. I will always in every circumstance seek to help and support you. If you are down and I can lift you up, I'll do that. If you need something and I have it, I'll share it with you. If I need to, I'll give it to you. No matter what I find out about you, no matter what happens in the future, either good or bad, my commitment to you will never change, and there is nothing you can do about it. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. That's love. And I'm going to ask you if you're willing to make that kind of commitment to every member of this church. And if you're willing to make this kind of commitment to the people that go to this church, if you're willing to make this kind of commitment to the people you live with, the people you work with, the people you spend time with. I'm going to ask you right now to get a pen or a pencil. I want you to sign it. I'm going to sign it right now because I'm making that commitment to every one of you, to everyone in this church. I'm making that covenant. I'm signing this covenant. Now, that's the first thing I'm going to ask all of us to do this morning. I'm going to ask you to sign that covenant. Now, that's not a commitment. That's a covenant. And a covenant's not just between me and you. That covenant's between me and you and the Lord. Okay? So, it, I mean, it is, a, it is a sacred thing. Now, here's the other thing I want you to do. Because we want to apply this. I want to make sure we get this, make this love thing real. We gave you an envelope. We gave you a card. Blank piece of stationery and an envelope. Here's what I want you to do. You can do it before you leave the church. You can do it after you leave the church. It doesn't matter to me. I want you this week to write a love note to somebody. I want you to write a love note of encouragement. Um, it, it may be to your spouse I mean, you know, there's some of you here, I know that if you come in this week and you give your spouse a love note, they'll think you're drunk. I understand that. But maybe it's your spouse. Maybe you had not written a love note to your spouse in years. Maybe it's, your, maybe it's a love note to a son or to a daughter or to a parent or to a friend. Maybe it's a note of encouragement to your boss. But I'm going to ask you to write, that, write this note out this week. Now, at our guest services desk is a basket. If you were to decide before you leave that you want to go ahead and write that note down now, you can place it at the basket, put it in the basket, we'll mail it for you. Matter of fact, I'll tell you how important this is to me. If you say, well, I'm not going to write it today. If you want to run it back up here to the church and leave it off the church, we'll mail it for you. But I want us this week, I want us to bear the fruit of love. And I don't want you just to say, I mean, again, it's important to say it. I want you to show it. We'll, we'll mail it for you. Now, the fruit, the first fruit of a tasty life is love. And the more you love, the taster you will be. For the love of God and the love of others, may God's Spirit bear His love through us because, folks, the reason why we are going to heaven if we are is because God loved us so much He sent His Son to die for us. Let's pray together. You cannot be the loving person that God wants you to be if you don't know God. God is love. 
To know God is to love God, and to know God is to know love. And the reason why God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins, the reason why He did that is just because He loves you. The beautiful thing about the love of God is He loved you before you loved Him. He loved you knowing some of you would never love Him. Someone said one time, and it's so true, a person will go to hell unsaved. He won't go to hell unloved. And if today you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've never experienced the real love of God in your life, and you would like to experience that love, you'd like to know what it is to be filled just with God and His love, then right now just say, Oh God, I want to know your love like I've never known it before. I realize that you love me so much you sent Jesus to die for me. And believing that Jesus died on the cross and believing that Jesus was raised from the dead, Lord Jesus, I ask you right now to come into my heart. I ask you to save me. I ask you to forgive me. And right now, I give you my life because I want all of my life and the rest of my life to be a sacrifice of love unto you. If you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer and you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, take out that that little card that was attached to your order of worship, that registration card, sign your name, give us some contact information. On the back, check off that box that says, I prayed today to receive Christ. And then there may be some of you here today and you may say, I, I, I know the Lord and I know God and I'm a lo- I have his love in my heart. But maybe you've never been biblically baptized. You know, the very first way you really show God that you love him, the first way, the very first way, by being baptized. Every time someone's baptized, they're, what they're really saying is, I know the love of God and I'm showing my love for God by following Jesus in baptism, which is what this person's doing this morning. This is Kayleen Shepherd. Kayleen is eight years old. She's been coming to our church for over a year, and she's been coming to our children's Bible study programs on Sunday morning, been hearing about Jesus. She'd go home and talk to her parents about Jesus. And several months ago, uh, Kayleen began talking to her mom about being saved. And her mom was able to show in the scripture about how to be saved and what needs to take place in her life and her heart. And she did that at home. Then she came and talked to some of our staff members who are involved in those age groups and confirmed that Kayleen made a decision for Christ in her heart. And so she's coming today to be baptized. Kayleen, the Bible says in Romans 8 9 that if we confess Jesus with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Who is your Savior today? Jesus and because he is your savior and he's the Lord of your life and you're willing to follow him in baptism then I baptize you my sister in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we're buried with Christ in death we're raised to walkness and newness of life Amen And that's what love is all about. Love is all about showing it in your actions and in your affection. It may be that you're looking for a church home, and I'd like to invite you, if you've been looking for one and maybe settled here, you can make a decision to be a part of our church, and you can check off that box that says, I want to be a part of this church. 
And we'll tell you how to do that as we receive your information. As we get ready to receive our offering, let me tell you what I want you to do right now. Ushers, get ready to do that for me. If we get ready to receive our offering, let me just really tie this together. One of the questions I, I, I ask sometimes is, okay, let's suppose they took the charitable deduction away from us. So you don't get off your taxes what you're about to do this morning. Would you still give? I just want you to know if the answer to that question was no, I, I wouldn't really be motivated to give if I couldn't get it off my taxes. Then God writes down a big zero every time you give. Because the reason why we ought to give God his tithe and our offering right now, the one, there's only one reason why you ought to do it. Only one. Because you love him. And you love him because he loved you so much he sent Christ to die for you. See, even our giving is tied to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you made a decision today, fill out that decision card. Give us some contact information. And uh, you can drop that card in the basket right now as it's passed or in a message center. But I'm going to be back at our Touching Lives booth. And if you made a decision for Jesus Christ today, I'd like to know what that decision is. Whether you got saved, want to be baptized, join the church, whatever. Come see me and bring that card. Let me pray with you and rejoice with you. If you're a guest of ours today, you can do the same thing. Make sure you fill out that card. Tell us who you are, where you're from, so we can send you some information. We won't be visiting with you. But what I'd love to do is, is I'd love to meet you. I've got a gift I give to every guest that visits here. If you brought a guest today, and I hope you did, bring that guest by and let me meet them. Now, let's go out today, and let's begin right now with this, this action. And let's say, God, I love you. And today, I'm bearing the fruit of love in my life. Father, because we love you, we give to you what you've already given to us, and we thank you that you loved us enough to give us Jesus and to give us life, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you guys have had a, uh, a great day so far worshiping with us. We also hope that every single one of you are plugged in after this hour to a life group uh, if you're not plugged into a life group, now is the time to do it. In fact, our pastor was talking uh, earlier this week to the staff and really getting us uh, wired and wound up, ready to, to tackle some really big things this year. And one of the things we want to do is to get folks like you into a life group. Now, this is a perfect time to do it, and let me tell you why. We're starting this new series called Tasty. And this is about the fruit of the Spirit. We are doing a church-wide emphasis, so our life groups will be going through uh, material that supports this, but it's different material. It's more practical. Uh, you know, that's what our life groups do. We're doing life together. It's a perfect time for you to jump into a life group to just kick the tires and see if this is something you might be interested in. One other thing that goes along with this series that I want you to make, a, make you aware of is uh, Dad's book that goes with this. It's called How to Impact and Influence Others. It's, we, we really were inspired by this to, to do this entire series because that's the idea behind Tasty. How do you live a life that other people will crave? You know, that's what we believe the fruit of the Spirit is, that if we express these things, that people will be drawn to us, that we'll